upon what the angels said about it being a time of great joy. This is quite emphatic that it says this is good news of great joy that will be to all the people. I wanted to pick up on that thought. Good news of great joy. I couldn't help putting it into the context that we're in. We've had a recent general election and our country has been in um, quite a a degree of um, uh, disarray. And depending on your politics, I know the politics of some of you here, I don't know the politics of all of you here, so some people will be in absolute joy and some people will be in total despair, uh, thinking that all is won or all is lost. And what I'd like to say is actually the Christmas message does have a bearing on this and it makes both of those reactions mistaken. It says that uh, it's not an occasion for absolute joy, uh, nor is it an occasion for total despair. And I want to try and uh, prove that to you or demonstrate that to you or argue that with you this morning. Uh, this morning? This evening. Uh, now, in case you're thinking, oh, well, that means that we should not care, I don't think that's saying at all that we shouldn't care. Uh, Jesus' summary of the, of the Torah, of the law of Moses, uh, he summarized it like this. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So just taking that last bit, it matters to the Almighty that we care about people, that we either care about the people around us, we care about our fellow citizens, that we care about all these things. Uh, it also says that we're to love God. If we don't care about people uh, around us and society, then we have failed utterly. So I'm not trying to say we shouldn't care. And I'm We should care politically and actively and financially. So we should care and we should be involved with things like that. But what I'm saying is that absolute joy and total despair are both mistaken. And I'm going to give three Christmas reasons. Preachers like to use alliteration, so I'm going to have a go at that. Uh, Power, beginning with P. Plan, which also begins with P. And person, which also begins with P. So three P's, power, plan and person. First of all, power. Um, from the point of view of power, including political power and military power, the text said, God says, to us a child is born and the government shall be on his shoulders. That's a statement about the power of the king who was prophesied. And you could enlarge on that statement and say, it's a statement that God personally rules over all things and that there's a special focus through the kingship of his son, Jesus. The Lord's Prayer, you might remember, I don't know whether you remember this, you might remember it from memory. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. It's a statement. Whose is the power? God's is the power. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And this is saying that, in fact, no king, no president, no prime minister, no emperor has final control and ultimate power. But God does. And I think that is a message to give us hope, to give us confidence. Now, you might be objecting to that, and you say, well, I don't know, is that at all believable? Is that at all believable? I mean, bad things happen, and you might have in your mind some very bad things that have happened, and you find that difficult to reconcile with the idea 
that God is in charge of everything. And I can't unwrap all of that. It's a deep thing, and I don't think we're capable of penetrating into that mystery. But what I can say is that Jesus believed it. And as as an example or particular instance of this, at the time of his trial, when Jesus, who by any account was an innocent man, an upright man, an honest man, was put on trial for his life, and he stood in front of the Roman governor, the Roman governor being the representative of the most powerful empire that there was at that time, and he could say to this man, you would not have any power unless it was given to you from above. That's what Jesus could say. Facing being on trial for his life, facing the Roman governor, he says the only power you have is what you're allowed to have from somebody else, from above. And if it's good enough for Jesus, that's good enough for me. Let me give you another example. The circumstances of Jesus' birth, you might not have quite worked this out, but uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why was he born in Bethlehem? Because the Roman emperor said, I want to, uh, put a, I want to tax everybody, I want to know where they live, they've all got to go home, they've all got to register, and that's why uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was sent there by the Roman authorities. He was born at Bethlehem. Now, that was what God had prophesied, that the Saviour would be born in Bethlehem. And the way God worked that was through a distant, proud, uncaring Roman emperor who wanted to get more tax. And God said, that's what you think you're doing? I'm using that for my purposes because this will very neatly arrange that the Saviour who I prophesied would be born at Bethlehem will in fact be born in Bethlehem. Even in the bitterest circumstances, God is still in charge, working out his plan and purpose. And I think this is a Christmas message, and it is a message to give us hope and confidence. And I want to say, please don't lose faith in the power of God. Please don't be thinking that human beings have the power to bring us into absolute joy, nor be in total despair if you think things aren't going the right way. God is in charge. Another objection. Do you know, you might be saying, I can't accept that he has the power, or indeed the right, to be in charge of everything. Uh, Let me give you a, a comment on that. I think in a way this is the human problem. The human failure, the failure to acknowledge that God's power and authority over us is right, the refusal of that is really what the Bible would say is the essence of sin. It goes back to when Adam was told, you shouldn't eat that fruit, and he says, God doesn't have the power to tell me that. He doesn't have the right to tell me that. I'll make up my own mind. Of course, that's where sin entered. It's quite a subtle thing, isn't it? But uh, our rejection of God's right to rule is our problem. If we want to know the root problem in the world, it is this. Our instinctive declaration that we are God's, our lives are within our power, we are our own personal saviours, and God is not allowed to be God. Well, that was power. 
Second thing, plan. Is there a plan? It would be so comforting to know that there is a plan, and it would be even more comforting to know that the plan was for our good. I suppose we could look out and we could see, well, events seem to be meaningless, random, cruel, and certainly our politics in the past months and years has seemed chaotic, inharmonious, rancorous, sometimes deceptive and divisive. If we were to look at that, we would say, well, where's the plan in all that? But the Bible says there is a plan, and it's a good plan, and it's a redemptive plan, and it's God's plan motivated by favor to our species The angel said, a saviour has been born to you. Get that word, a saviour. Not an analyst or an economist uh, or a a judge, but a saviour. A saviour has been born to you. And the the angels say, "This this is him. This is Christ the Lord. And they also say, on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. That's the translation I've got here. On whom his favour rests. That's an enormously good news, isn't it? That God looks on our species, on our race, and he says, I have a plan to favour these people, to do them good, to benefit them. Now, we might not be that good at receiving it, but he says that's what the plan is. The redemptive plan. I'll say a few things about the redemptive plan. Uh, first, uh, these begin with L. Uh, it's left-handed. Uh, in the Bible, God has a right hand, and he does powerful things with his right hand. But there's sometimes God think things done with his left hand. And they're more sort of like, we would say, left field. And, it, and, of course, the birth of Jesus is exactly like this. It doesn't involve an, an emperor, but a baby. And he doesn't bring in chief executive officers from the top FTSE 100 companies, he brings in shepherds who were sitting out in the fields looking after their sheep. And the key players in the story, and if you were here this morning, we did a little bit of the background to the story, uh, they're not the uh, uh, big folk on the national stage, but we looked this morning, an elderly couple in Jerusalem, a young country girl from up north in uh, in Galilee, these are the people that God uses in his sort of rather left-handed plan. Now, this doesn't begin with L, does it? It's weak. It's a plan that uses weakness, not achieving objectives by aggression and disinformation and cruelty, but by self-sacrifice, by apparent weakness. And uh, the Christian claim is that God most shows his power and his plan by Jesus dying on the cross in what looks like total disgrace, total weakness. And the Bible says that is where God's power is most displayed. That is where he has achieved the most astonishing victory, the most huge defeat of sin and Satan, and the most astonishing victory for his purposes. The death upon the cross of Jesus as an atoning substitute. He's called a lamb. We have lambs in nativity plays, don't we? 
because a lamb is a sacrificial animal. And it is a long-term plan, so there's an L. Uh, The plan of God outlasts the Egyptian empire. Because to find out about the Egyptian empire, you have to go to a museum. It outlasts the Assyrian empire. Probably never even heard of the Assyrian empire. You go into a museum and find out about them. Outlasts the Babylonian empire, the Greek empire, the Roman empire. And may even, we don't know what the future holds, outlast Western democracy. But God's kingdom is a long-term plan. And it works through the centuries and down through the ages. And the, the, the aim of this long-term plan is not just to make life better for citizens in this sort of world, but a new heaven and a new earth where all wrongs will be righted and everything will be made new. And you might say, well, that's pie in the sky. It hasn't happened yet. But we have seen the first evidence of it you might say, the green shoots of this in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When he rose from the dead, a new order entered this world. Something new was beginning. The old way was... Cracks were coming into it and something new was bursting in, which is his long-term plan. And, you know, this. if we see the long-term view... And the things that have happened in the general election, well, it puts gains and losses into perspective. I think if we could receive that thought, we would all go home with a lighter step this evening. And thirdly, person. There's power, there's a plan, and there's a person. And I ask, who is the key person in all this? Who is the key person as far as God is concerned? Well, names come to mind, don't they? I could hardly avoid saying names like Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn, key people. Well, God says actually, yes, okay, they're important, but there is somebody who is actually the key person. Somebody before whose power and nobility all others fade into relative obscurity. And that person is the baby, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. Uh, Let me give you a quote from an emperor, Napoleon, somebody who knew something about power and conquest. Uh, This is not in French, but uh, this is a quote from what he said. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me. His will confounds me. Between him and whomever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. The nearer I approach, the more carefully I examine. Everything is above me. Everything remains grand, of a grandeur that overpowers. And there's Napoleon saying what he thought about Jesus Christ, the person It's good news of great joy, and we thought about the power. It's over and above political power. God's power works quietly and mysteriously, and it works unstoppably for a long-term goal. His plan is to do people good. It's a sort of left-handed plan. It works via weakness and sacrifice. It's a long-term plan for a new heaven and a new earth. And it's confirmed by the resurrection of Jesus. 
And there's a person at the center of this, and that's who we've been singing about. The center of God's purposes is one God-man. The man, Christ Jesus. And he calls us to rest our lives on his power and to align our lives with his plan and to make his person the center of our lives. And here is the way, not to be alarmed, not to be deceived, but to be confident, to have joy. Here is the way to find deeper and lasting joy in him this Christmas. And may God bless you all as you're here this evening. We've got one more song to sing, and it's this one. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I hope you've enjoyed the evening.